And welcome to the Culture Classroom. This is uh, a fun episode. This is episode one of season four. So, John, this is, uh, you know, we've been in football season for a long time and uh, coming off a state championship for us. What an awesome guest to have in today, Coach Rick Jones. Yeah, you know, I think there's really two seasons in life. There's football season and then there's learning season. And as we start season four, that's where we find ourselves is in the middle of learning season or, or just starting learning season. A lot of coaches around the country looking at what worked this year, reflecting on that, thinking about what they can do better next year. And Rick Jones, such an amazing person and coach to learn from. Yeah, I mean, any guy that's been named coach of the year 18 times, uh, he has some positive influence on a bunch of people. Uh, whether it's motivational, leadership skills from the football field, you know, and he's applied those same principles just to life, as you'll hear in our interview with him. Um, you know, a quote that he has, we don't allow ourselves or anybody else to make excuses because that sets you up for failure. Well, think about as coaches reflect back on the 2019 football season of how many maybe make excuses of we could have done it this way we should have done it that way, you know, but ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, you know, that's such a valid point. And I think as coaches, we're often harder on ourselves than we, we like, it's easy to tune out the highlights when, you know, John Gordon calls it the golf shot mentality. You probably think of maybe one highlight from your round of 18 holes of golf. Uh, but I think of all the things that I, all the times that I three-putted or all the times that I shanked my shot. Yeah. You know, and so when we look back on golf, on our football season, it's kind of that same mindset of, boy, if we would have just got the fourth and one against Harlan and uh, in a tie ball game, when we could have really taken control. And, you know, it's just not how things go. But as humans, we're always trying to look and grow, and, and we tend to dwell on that negative. Right. As you know, we went 12-2, and two, won the state championship uh, this year. So we're going through a lot of data of what we did good what we did bad, what can we improve on, uh, what do we add, edit, delete, uh, if not, you know, which, whatever. Uh, but there's a lot of things, you know, we remember our two losses. Uh, we played Philadelphia, uh, which is a 2A public school, and uh, lost in the semifinals for, uh, in, the, in the MHSAA. And, you know, we remember we didn't execute that well in the red zone. We, we were in the red zone five times and came away with nothing. So you remember all those things of how do you get better in the red zone. Uh, so you're looking for things to, uh, to always improve yourself. And one thing that Coach Davis has done well with this staff and with this football program, and Coach Jones hits on it in this podcast, is the standard is the standard. And uh, he has built his standard. Um, the kids know the expectations from seniors all the way to seventh grade of what it means to be an MRA Patriot. And uh, you're going to hear more about that, about what Coach Jones thinks the standard needs to be. You know, I just read Julian Edelman's book, Relentless. Uh, if you're interested in football or wide receiver coach specifically, pick it up. There's some elements that don't really apply to you in your high school team, but I think his story is incredible, and there's no doubt that he's an elite performer and has pushed himself to the highest level and now has almost a decade of service in the NFL. And you talk about a guy who's switched positions and went to junior college and small college, you know, at a mid-major at Kent State. And has worked his way all the way up to being a Super Bowl champion and an MVP. And he talks about how championship teams have championship standards mm. and championship standards don't know what time of the year it is. 
So if you're not sure what your standards are, or if you're looking at 2020 trying to improve or make it better or keep climbing, or you're just evolving on your own personal journey as you work on your mountain as well, Rick Jones, the guy who's won over 300 high school football games and nine state championships and was the 2018 American Football Coaches Association Power of Influence Coach of the Year on the national level. What an incredible person to learn about standardization from for your program. Well, John, without further ado, let's get Coach Jones in the classroom today. Let's get better together. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. Coach Jones, it's really good to have you on. Appreciate you carving out some time for us today. You bet. Well, Coach, as we get started, um, can you give us a little bit about your background? I know about you. Um, I know that your team is ultra competitive and super – y'all win all the time. You know, seven of the last ten championships. Um, You've won close to 300 – or right at 370-something games, 373 games. Um, What makes that go to where – you know, we look at this thing, and, and we're talking to listeners, and the, the football coach rap thing is you're judged on your wins and your losses. But what what gets the kids motivated inside of Greenwood High School football? And what uh, what attracts them? And I know you do some fun things we're going to get into uh, with the community as well and how to get them involved. But what yep. makes Greenwood High School what it is? Well, it, it for one thing, we're a one-horse town. There's only one school here, obviously. Uh, we're sort of a suburb, if you want to call it that, of Fort Smith. Most people work in Fort Smith, which is about 15 miles from here. Um, it's a town of probably 75, 90,000 people, somewhere in there. And uh, there's really just not a lot to rally around in this community except the school. And, and we have a fantastic school. We uh, the ratings just came out. We finished fourth in the state, and uh, three that are ahead of us are charter schools. And uh, it it's a place that just loves football. It's sort of a traditional old old school mentality of what school should be in terms of they're not afraid to uh, they're not afraid to talk about the importance of extracurricular activities in the total school experience. Like I say, we're—I mean—we're the highest academic school right now, rated in, in the state of Arkansas. That, that's non—you know—charter or private. So we have a lot to be proud of. Our band's awesome. Our our uh, drama department does a tremendous job. And they now the thing is, is they expect you to be good. They they don't expect to be average in anything. And it's sort of that overall mentality. We uh, we do our we do a lot of things, but I think the most important thing we probably do just for the consistency aspect of it is 
Fast Dogs. We work with those kids from third grade on. We do a pad camp for third through sixth grade uh, in July. Then after that, we have a coaching clinic for the youth coaches, and our youth coaches do a tremendous job coaching these kids. Uh, some of them are running the spread as early as the third grade. I, I really don't think it's important uh, what they do. I think it's crucially important how they do it. And if they have you know, 40 kids on their team, and if we have 40 kids the next year, then they've done their job. And, and that's sort of the approach, but we try to build a mentality. I mean, every day I have a talking point, and I'll, I will talk to third through 12th about it. It might be leadership or or uh, sacrifice or teamwork or, you know, just attitude and effort, row the boat. Uh, we talk about bulldog weather, the bulldog vocabulary. There's just certain words that, that we try to teach these kids really, really early that they are not allowed to use. They, they, they're not able to say the C-A-N apostrophe T word. They can't say the H word, the one that begins with H, ends with T, and has O in the middle. It's an excuse for weakness. Um, it, but we, <laughs> I mean, we even try to build a vocabulary of success so that they sort of have a sense of uh, what it means to be a bulldog. We take great pride in putting that G on the side of our helmet and running through that bulldog on Friday nights and Thursday nights and Monday nights and, and Saturday afternoons with the youth. So it, it's we're in a really great situation because our loyalty is not divided. We're a very united place. Uh, we get along great with all the coaches of all the sports, and uh, it's been it's been obviously it's been a great run. But you, you don't have the success we have without administration that's that's willing to take the bullet from time to time and say, you know, why do you have turf on your field? Why do you have a 55 yard indoor facility? Why is your weight room so nice? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always. You know, there's administrators in the world that are ashamed to uh, stand up and say that it's important, and they're not. But I think the biggest thing is that it's so awesome when you see the report that we're the fourth-rated school in the state of Arkansas academically, like I say, second only to, us. you know, these uh, charter schools. It, it's, a, it's a great just a great tribute to our community and they have high expectations and we practice this is the craziest thing we practice at 6 a.m during spring practice we do it before school so that we don't interfere with the uh, spring sports and other things like that that occur after school and our, the first day of spring practice we line up and there's 103 out of 104 kids ready to roll <laughs> and I just shake my head it's so awesome I mean there's not a lot of places in the world that you could do that but they they find a way to do it it's important and, and the parents you know if you don't have buy-in I always call it the tripod it's the uh, it's the parents and the community and it's the administration and it's your kids and if you don't have any one of those three then you're two out of three is not not going to get it done and, and that's what that's i mean it's the big thing we we like to think we're fairly decent scheme wise but it's a lot more than schemes yeah yeah i think i think the soundbite football you're creating a language for that verbiage that you're using with your players real short snippets that can be easily recitable i mean i think that's very important and then it's funny because a lot of the people that coach weaver and i talk to we're builders or they're setting the expectation now. 
How do you, where you are, since the expectations are so high, now that you've got the standard set, how do you keep people to that standard? <laughs> that's See, that's the perfect segue to what we talked about before. If, if I, I read some stuff about Sean McVay, uh, head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, and they have four things that they talk about uh, in, in that for their NFL team. And, and the number one thing is the standard is a standard. And, I mean, I read that, and then the, the next thing is be uh, we're going to be great on third down. No, we're going to be situational masters. We're going to be situational masters. The third thing is I uh, is, is we before I, and, and the fourth thing is we'll be on time. Those are the four mantras. You know, Bill Belichick pulls it down to do your job. You know, that's what's all over the the facilities of, of the Patriots. But I I think that if you break down the standard is a standard, and I talked to our staff about that last week, and, and we and since I read that, I have just I've talked to the team about it over and over and over, but I think when you do have a certain level of success, there, there's human nature is is a really not so great thing because I think there's a tendency to slack off. I think there's a tendency to get complacent. I think there's a tendency to get lazy. Um, there's a tendency to think that you have something to do with your success as opposed yeah. to all the other people that are actually involved. But if we hold ourselves to the standard that we have established over a course of time, we're going to be okay. We may not win every game. Uh, we may not win half our games, but we're going to win most of the games that we can. And, uh, and I think that's the thing that staff struggle with because the standard is not the standard. It's a standard for the fourth team player, but it's not the standard for the first team player. And it might be the standard for the assistant coach, but it's not the standard for the head coach. And it might be the standard that you practice at with a certain level of intensity when you're getting ready to play your arch rival and you don't practice with that same level of intensity when you get ready to play uh, old Siwash. And that's, I think that's, it's human nature. And, and the reason that I, I harp on that so much is uh, as a coach, I've done it. I know exactly what it is. It, a long story, when we're at Tulsa Union, we're the head coach of Tulsa Union. We've won 11 games in a row. And we have the greatest lob kickoff kicker in the history of football. I mean, the kid was a soccer player. And we had literally, going into week 12, we had zero kickoff returns, period. They fair caught every single kickoff. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. The guy was phenomenal. Um, he ended up kicking for some at uh, Missouri State. And on week 12, we're getting ready to play, you know, a game that can lead you right into the semifinals and all that. We're jogging down the field on kickoff coverage in practice. And I watched them do it, and I thought, man, that's not that's not right. And But I said, you know what? We've won 11 in a row. And I know this goes through my mind. We've won 11 in a row, and not one team has ever returned a kickoff for us for a yard all season long. I mean, it was crazy. And uh, and I, we go into the game. We get down 14 to nothing. We get the ball back, and we have an awesome drive. We have an awesome drive. We get 14 to 7. All the momentum's on our side, middle of the second quarter. We lob kick off. I don't even watch. I don't even watch it. And I look out there, and a little kid from Westmore High School catches that ball on the 22-yard line, and we don't touch him. Mm. And all of a sudden, it's 21-7. 
and everybody's, you know, screaming, yelling. I said, and I just thought to myself, that was on me. That's all my fault. Um, I just think that if you've got to set the standard and you've got to go with passion and fire and intensity and, and hit that standard every single time. And if you don't, then, then you've got to, you're going to pay. I've got a picture outside our office here at Greenwood. When I go out to practice every single day, we have this, this wall of fame that we have, but we have one horrible picture up there. And that's when we're running our 56 sprints on the last day of fast dogs. And there's a kid about four inches in front of the line. Mm. And and that picture is up there to remind me that it is my job and my job only to make sure we line up on the line. Now, the way we do it here is we line up on the line. I've always thought it was ridiculous to get behind the line because that means is that an inch behind the line or is it a mile behind the line? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's like saying run a pass route at least three yards long. You know, it, it, that's not how we coach. We say run an out route five, run it five. And, and that's basically how we do it. And we say on the line. So you have four inches. That, that's how long the standard stripe is on a football field. You have four inches to put your foot down or your hand or whatever. We line up on the line, not in front, not behind. We line up on the line. And if they don't line up on the line, then it's up to myself. And then through the head coach to the assistants, to the guys lined up next to the guy that's in front of the line to make sure that the standard is being followed. And our standard is when we line up to run is that we have our hands on the line. And I just think it's a mentality like that that you have to be brutally <laughs> consistent um, every single day. And it's not a it's not a horrible, horrific, screaming, yelling, throw your cap mentality. It's a, hey, this is how we do it. This is what we're going to do. And if we don't do it, we're going to pay. And uh, I, I think it's that that line by Sean McVay just stuck in my head. And I think about it all the time. The standard is a standard. Mm. And if, if you we tell our receivers that when they catch the ball, they have to cross the next stripe full speed in practice. We tell our quarterbacks when they carry out a fake, they must cross the line of scrimmage full speed. And in every position has about three different standards that they have to show on every single play. And if they don't, we call that a loaf. We don't run after practice. We might be a little different than most people. Um, great football coach there in the state of Oklahoma asked me one time, he said, are you guys running after, what are you, are you guys running after practice? I said, you bet we are, boy. You know, and I'm sort of puffed up, chest out. I said, yeah, we run after <laughs> practice. And he said, you're an idiot. And I said, whoa, I'm an idiot. He said, coach, if you practice the way you should practice, you should never have to run kids after practice. He said, now, we'll punish them. We'll run them after practice to punish them. But he said, we're not going to run them after practice. He said, did you run after practice when you played? And I said, yes, sir. He said, how did you practice? And I said, well, to be honest, I was probably saving up for the running after practice. He said, that's exactly right. That's a great point. Absolutely. I remember that. I remember when our college coach would post the practice schedule in the locker room before before practice, I always looked to find where conditioning was. Yeah. We ran on Tuesdays like a cross-country team when I was in college, and everybody <laughs> hated it. And just because they hate it doesn't mean it's bad. Right. But I, I woke up with a bad attitude, and that's my fault. We talk about that with our kids all the time. 
but I hadn't read the books that I'd read at this point in my life. But I mean, I woke up in a bad attitude because it was Tuesday, and they were going to run as 210s, 220s, 230s, 240s, 250, 260s, 270s, 280s, 200s, 280s, 260s, 240s, 220s, 210s, uh, all the way back. And I mean, it was Tuesday. I, I mean, got tired Tuesday just listening to that. <laughs> and, and I thought, I spent all day dreading it. Then I spent all practice saving up so that I just wouldn't croak running it. And, and so our kids go out there, and they know that if they practice at the speed and at the standard that has been set, they're not going to run after practice. It's over. But every practice, we line up on the line. They line up on the white line, and I ask the coaches, I said, we call them loafs. If they don't achieve the standard, we just yell out, that's a loaf. And for every loaf, we run one what we call over. That's a sprint from the sideline to the far hash and a jog to the other sideline. Mm-hmm. And if for every loaf that we have in practice, we're going to run, we're going to run it over. And uh, it is a glorious day when those boys line up on that line and it's zero offense, zero defense, zero kick game, zero. There's no running. Come on, boys, let's go home and uh, or go wow. to film or whatever. And uh, if if it's three, we run three. If it's we've run up to seventeen. And uh, but the thing when I talk to people about that, most people say, "Boy, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard." And yet, I'll I'll ask them, you know, after the season's over, they say, "Oh, coach, we stopped doing it." And they stopped doing it for really one reason only and that is the coaches do not understand what the standard is they just don't implement it in a consistent way and they they play mind games with kids and i think that's the absolute wrong thing to do you know i I remember i've worked for guys that'll say hey we're playing a horrible team this week let's get after their rear day and i'm like okay and then if they're, you know, if you're playing somebody really good, then you're not really worried about the kids giving great effort practice. So you sort of, you know, sort of the way it goes is is that it's during those weeks that you're playing somebody horrible that you're really, yep, 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 on the guys. And what we try to do is be exactly the same. It does not matter. It Our opponents have absolutely nothing to do with our preparation. Mm-hmm. And I, we've had guys come watch our – you know they'll come watch practice when the playoffs are starting, and and I, I remember a guy last year. He, I said, "Well, what'd you think of practice?" And he just started laughing. I said, "What's so doggone funny?" He said, "Coach, I couldn't tell if you were eleven and one or one and eleven the way you coach." And I said, "Well, that's a, that's one of the best compliments I've ever heard." Uh, because we're coaching hard, we're jumping around, we're throwing our cap. There's a sense of urgency. Uh, we're demanding. We're not demeaning. And uh, that's that's the way we like it. We want to be brutally consistent, and I mean that in, in the nicest way possible. But we're going to be brutally consistent in upholding our standard, um, and it has to be for everybody. Because you know, we you talk, you, you call your, you know, you call this the culture classroom, and, and the number to me, the number one culture killer of every athletic program is a double standard. Mm. And it's, you treat the four-teamer way differently than you treat the, the stud. And uh, sometimes it goes so bad that even the stud has a different set of rules and regulations. Right. And that's when it's really, really bad. But when I say treat them, I'm just saying 
when you see the star walk down the hall, do you respond to him the same way you do the fourth-team right guard? Yeah. And uh, if you don't, I think you really need to check your whole card. I mean, on the on the on the practice field, we're not going to give the fourth-team guard many reps, and we're going to give the stud as many reps as as we can get out of him. But it's it's that mentality of how do you treat them off the field? How do you treat them when you know in the locker room? How do you treat them on a on a daily basis? Do you yeah. Give them. Do you have a do they have a sense that you truly care, or is it just like, hey, you're not a player, I don't have time for you? Hmm. And that's, I think the greatest culture killer of all is a double standard that sometimes we have for the kids that have ability. Yeah, I want to go back to when you said about the coaches playing mind games, and I think I see that a lot, um, especially, um, you can say at the high school level or maybe in the junior high level having the standard and, and the coaches really don't know the standard. So they don't know how to, how to respond. They don't know how to, how practice is supposed to go or, or like you said before, like they don't know how, what the standard is because the head coach hadn't communicated with them. I think that's the most important part is your assistant coaches have to be on board and have to know what the standards are in and out. Uh, so the kids can understand them as well. Cause if the coaches don't get them, then, you know, you're, you're pissing in the wind. No, you're, you are at, that's 100%, 100% true. If, if anybody's listening to this, hasn't heard Tony Mason's great, the greatest clinic speech ever given, it's called Coaching Coaches by Tony Mason. And the best version of that he gave at Allen Fieldhouse around 1985. Um, I happened to be there, bought the video, and I've watched it probably 15 times. But that's one of the things that, that he talks about, and that's you – have I mean it, it's almost like and it's not being demeaning or degrading but you with a with a staff of coaches you have to assume to a certain extent that they don't know anything in terms when it comes to that and so you got you got to coach them and that's why he, the greatest speech of all is called coaching coaches and it's making sure that everybody's on the same page everybody knows exactly what you know if you have if you're going to say okay we're going to do this the loaf system like we do it at greenwood and you got that one grouchy coach he's usually an o-line or d-line guy he's just grouchy mad at the world you know just not a very nice person and ever Every other time, you know, you hear that's a loaf, and you're like, "Oh crap!" I mean, you you have to be on the same page, and you get up there, and you're going to line up and run 37 loafs, and you you've messed it up. Right. And, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you you know you're not adhering to the standard, but you just have to have some common sense and, and implement it. And and the thing is, you got it. What we do is we sit down with our with our what we call our units, sort of on the Urban Meyer method of the, I think it's eight units. We have nine units. I mean, he has nine units strong. We have eight units here because we have eight coaches, right. and we have eight units on our team, position units, and they sit down and they say, okay, what are our standards? What are the three standards that we can adhere to every single play? And like I say, with quarterbacks, one of them is that after every ball we hand off we sprint past the line of scrimmage as if we had the ball because everything we do you know zone read in some form or fashion whether we're in counter or zone or outside zone or whatever right so everything is is, is a read anyway and and uh 
you know, it's it's things like the receiver I said before, you catch the ball, you cross the next line full speed. And and I think part of the deal is is that you don't set your standards like we don't say catch the ball and run twenty seven miles. You know, we say catch the in a practice setting, catch the ball and cross the next line, whatever that line is, full speed, boom. And if you don't, then the coach is gonna say, That's a loaf. Right. Everybody on the team is gonna yeah. run. And then Part of the deal on that is that I, I tell them, I said, now, guys, let me explain to you a game of football why it's so wonderful. If the right guard jumps off sides, does the right guard alone go five yards backward or does everybody go five yards backwards? And they, you know, everybody, you know, the whole team. I said, well, that's right. <laughs> so you got to understand that your behavior affects the whole team. And if you don't do what we consider to be the standard, then the whole team is going to have to pay because ultimately that's what happens. The whole team has to pay for us not achieving our standard. Right. But I, I just look at that. The standard is a standard. It's just a, it's a, I've written, uh, I wrote a blog about it on the, my coaching blog and I've given some clinic talks and talked about it. And it's just so important. I mean, I've coached on teams where the, you know, the players had one standard and the scrubs had another standard and the freshmen had another standard and it just it's just horrible and it's miserable. And it's miserable for everybody because I think you know, I think the kids wanna know, hey what if if you say oh, there's a standard then what the heck is the standard? Right. <laughs> it does the line change? I I you know, I've worked with some unbelievably tremendous football coaches, and they all had different personality traits. And, you know, one of them was that, you know, if the sky was blue and you said the sky was blue, he'd rip you uh, because, you know, or for whatever reason. But it that line of the standard is constantly changing and moving, and it just makes everybody confused and miserable. So if the head coach can establish the standard – and if the, the the players themselves sort of establish their specific position standards, then it's like, guys, this is what you said you wanted to be. This is what you said you wanted to do. You know, we're not doing anything other than just enforcing what you said you wanted, right. uh, you know, to play the position. Yeah, the standard it, becomes – It also gives them a sense of ownership, which I, I think it's just – I think it's important. Yeah, the standard becomes the non-negotiable. That's true. Non-negotiable yeah. is a great word too. We we've used that term. What are the three non-negotiables? Or we have ten non-negotiables of the offensive line, which is probably too many. But I I just sat down and wrote that up and gave it to our line coach. And I said, listen, I'm not going to be happy if I see this. And there's ten things that, yeah. <laughs> that they're not supposed to do. But you're setting a standard for him. Do. You're setting a standard for him on what he's supposed well, to do. Right. For his. And, and, and I mean, it's a. Uh, I, I I feel sorry for our line coach because that's where I started. I started out <laughs> as an offensive line coach, so I'm sort of – I probably have more attention towards those guys than anybody other than just the quarterbacks who I coach specifically. But it's – I just think that the if you want to kill a culture, then have blurry standards, you know, have blurred lines. I, it's right. just a mess. Well, I want to go, and and I know you do this, and I know there's a standard for when you when you talk to your kids. So when you say there's a standard for ball, there's also a standard for when you give like pregame talks or even pre-practice talks. Y'all do like little 
little snippets for I think thirty-seven yeah. seconds or something like that. I remember you saying, yeah. but there's a standard for that. Uh, can you go into yeah. that just a little bit for our listeners? Well, I, I just think that we're we're coaches and we're teachers, and I think you have to teach kids how to listen. If you want kids to listen to you, you got to tell them how to listen. And you can ask any third grader that's been in Fast Dogs in Greenwood, Arkansas, and I say, what are the four things you listen with? And they can tell you verbatim, two eyes, two ears. What's our listening position? One knee, two eyes. And so that means that when I call them up to give the little talk, they're supposed to have one knee on the ground and both hands on their other knee, and there are two eyes on, on whoever's speaking, whether it's me or somebody else that's speaking on that particular day. And then with the little ones, I try to give them a time limit of 32, 33, 37 seconds, something like that, so that if I say, listen, if you will just keep your, stay in that listening position and keep your eyes on me for 37 seconds, then we're getting ready to go. Otherwise, we're going to do push-ups or get-ups or whatever. <laughs> and... Uh, when we call them up, you can hear those little ones say, one knee, two eyes, one knee, two eyes. <laughs> it, but it's, I think you have to teach them how to listen. I mean, good grief. We're, I, I hear I hear coaches say funny things, I think, sometimes. It's like, man, we don't have any leadership. Well, okay, what are you doing to establish leadership? <laughs> well, we have, we have a lot of ways to establish leadership. We have a lot of ways to exert leadership. We have a leadership class that starts in January. It, it goes through the... Uh, second week of spring practice um, that we try to teach the principles of leadership. What is leadership? And, and then we have opportunities for guys to serve. We have a, we have a uh, leadership council. We have squad leaders. We have assistant squad leaders. And we have unit leaders. And we have captains. And I think that by giving kids opportunities to lead and, and having a class to try to teach them how to lead, I mean, we are coaches, right? We got in that line in college that said coaching. So right. if you don't have leaders, I mean, it's like, if what if you just said, gosh, our wide receivers are awful. Would you not coach the wide receivers? Right. <laughs> you know, okay, we won't have wide receivers this year. I said, no, you get out there and coach them. That's our mentality. That's what coaches do. You know, our quarterback doesn't throw the ball worth a flip. Well, coach him up to throw the ball the best he can. It's like we don't have any leaders. Well, if I have a bunch of three leaders and I can make them seven leaders – and I, they're not perfect, but they're better than three. Yep. But, I, I mean, I, I hear I, – I want guys to coach. I don't want them to complain. Right. I mean, it's easy to complain. It's easy to point out the problems. I mean, the politicians do it every day. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like the – if if I would like to have the job where you just point out problems, you know, that, that would be the easiest job in the world. Hey, I'm just going to point out the problems, and I'm not going to mess with the solutions. As a football coach, we don't do that. Hey, coach, you That's just described job. Our, our whole job's fixing problems. Yeah, our, I think you just described the job of a news reporter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have all the problems, especially exactly. on politics. It's funny. I just I just came to Greenwood from uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I went up to speak at the clinic at the University of Arkansas back when Houston Nutt was there. And I'd known Coach a little bit, and he calls me in there and he says, "Hey, hey, Rick, how's it going?" <laughs> I can't do a Houston Nutt interview. He said, "How's it going up there?" He said, "He said, why'd you why'd you leave Broken Arrow? Isn't that the biggest school in Oklahoma?" I said, "Yeah, Coach, it is. It's the biggest school in Oklahoma." He said, "Why'd you leave to go to Greenwood?" I said, "You know, Coach, sometimes you just need to change problems." And he laughed. He thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. But uh, 
sometimes you just need to change problems, but that's what we do. I mean, I, I had a kid in my office here. This is Sunday. You know, it's Sunday at 2.54 in the afternoon. I had a kid up here at noon today. He's got problems. Um, that's what we do. We try to, you know, we yeah. try to fix stuff. I I talked to a good friend of mine, good coach friend the other day, and he was talking about, well, I got to do this, 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 and this. And I said, oh, man, I said, you're just like the rest of us. He said, what do you mean? I said, you love the puzzle. You know, oh. we... You know, coaches, we love the puzzle. We we want to we got the pieces, and and we're trying to figure out how to fit those pieces into the puzzle the perfect way, and that's what makes it fun and exciting. And after all these years, I, I still love the puzzle. I mean, it is a the only thing guaranteed is on your record is that we start zero and zero, and the only side of that ledger that's guaranteed is the one on the left you can lose every game and i mean we it is it's a scary thought i mean that's the only side of the ledger that you, you may not change on the other the other one's inevitable it ha, it has you know it that's it's right there in front of you you start every year i mean we can't draft them we, we can't recruit them we, we we can't pick them up off waivers you have what you have and yeah. we got to figure out the best way to use it yeah well, Coach, what I love about what you're saying, first of all, the standard is the standard because you don't deviate from the standard. And then the standard is so defined that even the most simple people on your staff or in your program can follow <laughs> and meet the standard. But what I love about it as a culture guy is it doesn't matter if you're running split back beer or if you're an air it out offense or we're not talking scheme here. All of this is culture and the standard and what you as a leader shape your program around. There, there's no doubt about it. It's like I said earlier, it's, it's the how, not the what. I mean, mm. young coach, and I, I, I'm always, I hate to even use that term young coaches because I think I still am one, but we, we want to go into a clinic and we want to hear the newest RPO adjustment versus man free or something like that. And that stuff is fantastic. But if, if you don't have the other stuff right, it just doesn't matter, unless you're really, really athletic. You know, athleticism can overcome a lot of things. But, I mean, if you're like everybody else and you're just struggling trying to find a way to win a game, I even – I mean, the culture, I, I, I call it the C word because everybody wants to throw it around and yet they don't they can't define it, they don't know how to get it, they don't know how to keep it. And they don't know how to establish it, and I think that's the thing. And that I, I, I think about that all the time because our culture is—I mean, it either makes us or breaks us. We don't have anybody's ever watched us play. Now we have had individually great, great players, but as we've never had a, that kind of team that you know we have four or five Division One guys. That's just not what we have. We've got guys that love the game of football, and usually on good years mixed in there are a couple unbelievable athletes. But I mean, it's for the most part, I think we win games on, you know, those players that from, you know, five on to 30 that just play their hearts out and they train like crazy and they sacrifice and they love the bulldogs and they're coachable and, and uh, do what we ask them to do. And I think that's, that's the, thing that's been able to sort of separate us a little bit from time to time but it's culture is fragile I, I i mean you can ruin it so fast i mean it's 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 
somebody said, Coach, you got them rolling. I said, yeah, we're rolling downhill 90 miles an hour with no brakes and no steering wheel. You just, <laughs> you, you really don't, you really don't ride the bull. You just hold on for dear life. And, you know, you, we, you don't, you don't guide the bull. You just you hold on and you squeeze and you do everything you can to keep your head in the middle of it. And that's, that's what you try to do coaching the football team and just be, be willing and, and able to confront anything that challenges your culture and, and be willing to, to keep your mouth shut when it's a matter of opinion that doesn't. Right. I think that's part of it. People, if, you know, people ask me, you know, what's culture? I think you boil it down to two, really three basic things. How, how the kids treat the coaches, how the coaches treat the kids, and how the kids treat each other. And I think within that triangle is is the whole difference of, of a great culture and, and, and a not so great culture. It's just how you treat each other on a daily basis. And, uh, is it, is there respect that goes both ways? Because I think sometimes authoritarian coaches don't really have a sense of respect. I don't think people realize something. And I talk about this from time to time when we do clinics and stuff. I don't think they put themselves in the kids' shoes. Our kids are all walk-ons. Yeah. They're all walk-ons. They they when that bell rings ending six hour every single day they have a choice. They can either come to football or they can do you fill in the blank what they can do. They can do a ton of stuff. It might be more fun than running into to large human beings for two hours a day <laughs> in a hundred degree weather. They might figure out something that's a little bit more fun than that. We have to make sure that we make that sacrifice worthwhile and and we have to have I, I believe with all my heart I am I am so grateful that we have 102 kids in Greenwood Arkansas in grades 10 through 12 that are willing to do this I mean I am so grateful when the bell rings I mean what would it be like if no one showed mm. we have we have over 560 kids in our summer program that's girls and boys from grades three through twelve. We got some moms. We got some graduates. We got some. Uh, we had a guy from, you know, a different town come in. He said, "I've heard about it. And I just I urge you let adults do it, and I just want to see if I can do it." And you know, he <laughs> he he just jumped out there and did it. We had one of our sports reporters do it one year. I mean, I'm so grateful that that people are willing to do what we ask them to do because it's a choice. And that bell rings now. It's a choice. We, that's why we stand at the door and high five them when they come in the door. That's right. Because we're thankful they're here. We're grateful. My goodness, I hadn't had to work my whole life. How, how great is that? <laughs> I, I work. I tell people a story. They think I'm joking. I, I, I worked at a worm ranch when I was a ninth grader separating red wigglers from night crawlers. You do that for a dollar and a half an hour? And you think, I hear people say, what are you doing? I'm grinding. No, you're not. You're not grinding. You're watching film. You're working with kids. You're coaching football. Now, go to a worm farm. You want to grind, that's grinding. I've never had a, I've never grinded in my life coaching football. I mean, it's a, it's a blessing. You can do it 42 years. I'm just afraid someday somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you're going to have to go get a real job. You, you do realize that. I'm, I'm just trying to avoid that inevitability as long as I possibly can. We're so thank, we're, I, we're so lucky to be able to do what we do. Yeah. And uh, I think and, – and if we don't have kids 
if you don't have, we gripe about the kids sometimes, and, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I go to teachers' meetings. You know, we had to go to those in-service deals. We have to have sixty hours of in-service every year, or something like that. And I, and I'll hear teachers sort of joking every once in a while, say, "Man, how, wouldn't school be great if the kids weren't here?" And I just think, I don't even think that's funny. I just don't. I don't even. I see no humor in that because if if the kids weren't here, you wouldn't have a job. And right. uh, and that's the way it is with our football program. If we didn't have kids that want to do this and parents that believe it's important that administrators that are willing to support us and fund us, we're not going to be around. I mean, they're, they're not having football. So they hire coaches. Right. I just saw <laughs> coach. I just saw on Twitter. There was a, uh, there was a coach that, that I follow and he's the varsity offensive coordinator. And he put on Twitter that their season, they're going to have to cancel their season because of lack of interest and not enough numbers to play. Yeah, and that's and that goes exactly what you said. We got we're, we're blessed to be doing what we do, and then had kids come into the game and they love the game. And like we we said before, you got to fascinate those kids. You got to love on those kids, um, so we can have a job. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're I, we're coaching in a very very easy place to coach. And there, I, I have a lot of friends that are coaching in a lot more difficult situations where. You know, there's a lot more challenge just getting kids to practice, getting kids fed, getting kids, you know, with food and clothes and things like that. That, and it's, it's, uh, and I and I know how lucky we are to be doing it here. But I, I mean, gosh, we have such a great game, and I just want to do everything in in my power that at some point in time when we are get hit by a truck, that things are better than where it started. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about fast dogs and what that entails? Um, I know it's a big yeah. part of what y'all do. Uh, just go it, into that a little bit. You bet. It, it's a, uh, I, we started doing this thing in probably 1983 or 1984 out in Oklahoma city area. Um, there's a guy named Tom Ward, as far as I'm concerned, sort of invented the whole process by, you know, we and we really messed up a good job to be honest, uh, because before fast dogs or what we used to call summer pride there in Oklahoma City, um, summer meant you'd probably have to open the weight room up for a week for two hours a day. That was your duties in the summer. <laughs> I mean, I went to Scotland, played golf, and I went fishing all over the place. And and now we work it all the time like a bunch of knuckleheads. But what I mean the the basic premise is that we used to call it uh, strength and conditioning and I figured out that was not good marketing so now we call it strength and speed development and uh, I think conditioning probably sounded too hard but the pro- the principle is that we're going to train every kid that, that wants to get trained regardless of the sport but we have time sessions like the varsity football comes at 6.30, 8th and ninth grade football at 7.30, um, 5th and 6th at 8, uh, females at 8.30, uh, and then 9 o'clock we have uh, the 3rd uh, and 4th. And and basically what we do is we break it down into three areas. We're, we have an indoor area where we work on our core and functional strength stuff. We have a weight room session. And then we have an outside session uh, that's 30 minutes. So we're, it's an hour and a half workout. And uh, 
we train them to get ready to play football, but they really get ready to do anything. We've had cheerleaders. We've got the volleyball team in here, a ton of baseball players, quite a few basketball players. We have people that come from other schools. Uh, they just want to do it. We've got some uh, kids from uh, some college soccer teams that do it with us. And we really uh, – we have – we have our basic form running on the floor. We do form running, and then we do our core work, and we've got four stations that we do there. And then, we, like I say, we do 30 minutes in the weights, and we go 30 minutes outside. We have six stations outside. Uh, Monday is Monday and Wednesday are what we consider lateral emphasis days, which we emphasize lateral movement. And then uh, Tuesday and Thursdays are, are linear days in which we uh, emphasize explosion and speed. But... What we want to do is teach kids how to run, how to jump, how to change direction. And uh, it, it's just one of those, it, it's a, an overall program that we've worked really, really hard at. And, and we, the first year we did it, we had 187 kids. That was 16 years ago. This is our 16th fast dog. And we've grown from 186 to 260, uh, I'm sorry, 562 is the numbers that we have this year. And and the biggest thing is is we take it very, very seriously. Our coaches aren't out there just blowing a whistle or twirling a whistle, and they're they're coaching the fire out of it. We have a change direction station out there, and Coach Sanford's out there teaching those guys how to plant, how to bend, how to move, how to change direction. Uh, I'm a fanatic about uh, what we call fixed change direction and then uh, visual or verbal change direction because so much of football is reactionary. And I think sometimes that's why we have soft tissue injuries is that we didn't work enough on the reactionary uh, change of direction things. Um, our our guru for this is a guy named Gino Pierce in Dallas, Texas. He's actually at Allen, Texas, and he trains about 17,000 kids a year in a similar type program, but we sort of patterned it after that. Gino, I, I actually coached Gino when he was at Edmond, mm. there in Edmond, Oklahoma. But Gino is the guru. He's the man. He's the best ever. And every two years, I either go down there or he comes up here and teaches us the newest, best things to do it. We love to use toys. Uh, we use parachutes and bungee cords and, and, and speed bands and rope ladders and, I, I mean, hoops. And we Kids love variety, and they will never come to a day of fast dogs that is exactly like the day before. Well, that's great. But uh, mm. I, they can go to the fast dog webpage and at least get a visual of what it looks like. And then at the end of every day, I call them up and talk about, what I consider to be important things in terms of leadership and how to live a life. One of our philosophies here, there's no excuses. We're trying to teach kids what that means. Um, it all, you know, every day is bulldog weather. Um, if it's 105 degrees, it's bulldog weather. If it's five degrees, it's bulldog weather. And it, it's a big part of I think trying to create a mentality of, of not living your life with excuses of living your life with accountability and it's not but uh, we love Brian and Tim Kite it you know E plus R equals O we talk about that all the time and I mean our our third grade fast doggers can explain the E plus R equals O 
you know, if you ask any of them that's been in fast dogs, the event plus response equals the outcome. And that's thing, and that's what you control. And that's what's awesome about life is that you control the outcome. You do not control the event, but you do control your response to the event. And that's, that's the thing. Just little lessons like that we try to teach along the way that I, I hope is sort of building up a mentality. And I do admit that we will talk about our arch rival in a very negative, nasty way from time to time. Who doesn't, right? Just <laughs> just for a, just for a certain amount of humor, I said, you know, you guys have just our, our little ones only work out an hour. We don't go to the weight room with the the third through seventh. And I'm not if, – if we had more manpower, we'd go ahead and do some kind of training in weight room. We just don't have enough manpower to do that with the little ones. So they don't do that. But I'll call them up at the end of the day, and I said, you know what those boys over at, you know, fill in the blank, you know what they're doing? They're they're sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and playing video <laughs> games. You guys have been out here working your rear off. And that's, that's what being a bulldog is all about. And that – just trying to create a mentality – that hopefully they'll carry over, you know, by the time our seniors go through here, they, they've done fast dogs since third grade, most of them. Wow. And, uh, and we start the third grade cause that's when our youth program starts, but it's, I think it's the best thing we do. I mean, I think people say, okay, what's the, everybody wants the secret. Uh, that's it. And, and a lot of people try it, but, Honestly, not a lot of people get it done because I think it's really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really, really hard. And our coaches are so fantastic. I mean, they do such a great job. And if you know, if, if you live in a community like this, and, and the parents value uh, hard work and dedication and things like that, it's you know, I think you have a chance to make it work. We're on Thursday this week. I'm going to pass out. 300 let me look here i think it's 337 100 bulldog t-shirts and that means that they have attended every single day of fast dogs wow and so they get a 100 bulldog t-shirt and i don't know what percentage is 337 to 562 but it's pretty doggone good yeah <laughs> and uh it is a you know it, it is an ugly day for me because most it's hard for parents to uh, understand what 100% means and that I'll have some granny come up to me and say, the only time he missed was when he had to go to a baseball tournament and wherever, wherever. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I said, maybe next year we'll do a 96% Bulldog t-shirt. But for right now, all we have is 100%. That, you know, if they wake up and have a bellyache and don't come, they don't get a shirt. If they have to go to... Fifi, the poodle's funeral. They don't. They don't get a shirt. Like that goes back to setting the standard. Right. Years ago, an adult that went through the program with us, and she said, "Hey, coach, can I work out with the big boys today? Because that's that meant she wanted to go out at six thirty time." And I said, "Well, sure. What's up?" She said, "Well, I got to go to the funeral at ten, and I sure want one of those shirts." And I said, <laughs> "I said, I think you'll be fine. Just come on at six thirty. That'll that'll work. Yeah. It'll be no problem." But yeah. it, it goes back to the standard is a standard, and it's hard for people to accept that. Our standard for the shirt is one hundred percent attendance, and it's not one hundred percent effort. It's not going through every drill one hundred percent. It's not a gray area whatsoever if you're here every single day with no excuses 
You know, there's no such thing as an excused absence for a 100% bulldog shirt. Mm. And uh, it's just funny how we are in our society today and that we don't understand what that, you know, what that is. Well, I got an excuse. You know, I had to do this or I had to do that or, you know, the alarm didn't go off. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. it's a 100% shirt. It's not a 96% shirt. Standard is a standard, as they say. But it's an ugly day for me because I'm going to get – I wear my extra britches. I wear an extra pair of britches on that because I'm going to get my butt chewed pretty good on those days. <laughs> well, I think it's such an important message because uh, I write in my book about we got to keep home plate the standard size. You don't want to widen it or you, right. you, know, you don't want to change what's not being changed around the country. And uh, – we are a society that wants to settle. And so the double standard analogy, I think that's totally, totally up. Coach, really appreciate your time here talking today. And uh, I've gotten a ton out of our conversation. I've been taking a lot of notes. Um, the one question when I always ask our guest is, what's your caring trademark? So if I were to look at you and what separates you from other leaders, what would you say is, is different about you that shows others that you care? Oh my! That shows shows others that I care. Yeah, a great, I a great way to. Yeah, like I wear purple shoes when it's game day. I teach at a purple school. It's a really hard <laughs> color for a male. Um, yeah. But that's what that's people always come up and they're like, "Oh, I got purple shoes on, Coach Story." Or yeah. Coach Weaver has even inspired me by writing game day notes to his players. Yeah. Is, is there something that you really hang your hat on that that's yours and you own it and it shows other people that you care about what's happening? Oh my goodness. I, I think it's, I, I just think it's that day to day interaction when the kids get here. I, I think that's, you try to sort of, you know, in your downtime, you might say, well, what are they going to remember or what are they going to forget or whatever? But I, I would like to think that every day, was a good day when they were here. And that's that's sort of the mentality I want to take and the mentality I want to impress the kids with. But it's a uh, I don't I don't have any purple shoes or, or shirts <laughs> or socks and uh we we do so many we do so many things that are a little bit different in terms of how we do our program. And I think it's uh, the overall mentality of man, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you guys. And I think that's it's huge for kids to have that feeling. You know what? If your caring trademark is that you care about them from the minute they walk in the door, on whatever day it is, no matter what's happened in their life, Coach, you might be the only person in their life that has that mindset. Well, you never know. I, the way the way things are, you, you, you sort of have to take them. And I think a coach ought to have that mentality today. You just got to assume that's the way it is. And it doesn't matter if a kid comes from – in a fluent background or a not so fluent, a fluent background, you just never know. And, and, you know, we've got kids that we've coached that are doctors and lawyers and very successful businessmen. And I've got a couple that are in prison too. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a catch all. We, it's a challenge and it's a fight. We're, we're going to try to fight it, try to do the right thing and help these kids along the way. Cultural Classroom is supported by Laws and Learning, a nonprofit run by educators for educators with a mission to engage students, empower teachers, and transform schools. Through professional development, 
conferences focusing on active learning, practical resources, and reflective teaching, including fishbowl classrooms and a unique teacher-to-teacher -teacher consulting program, Lausanne Learning is providing the authentic professional development your school needs. Visit them at lawsandlearning.com today to find one of their active learning conferences near you and to learn more about changing education from the ground up.